Things are beginning to reopen again. We look around and we see restaurants, parks, businesses, hair salons all reopening. Just this morning, our church building, it's reopened for in-person worship services. But things do look a little different right now in our community. There's this physical distancing that's taking place. People are wearing masks. And we kind of wonder, how long are things going to work like this? Is this some kind of new normal that we're entering into? And some in the community, they're, they're concerned because they say, we just want things to go back to the way they've always been. You know, I'm so thankful for the church and from hearing from so many of you who've told me that your biggest prayer request during this time is that the church doesn't just emerge unchanged, but that we come out of this a changed people, more intentional in reaching into our community to make disciples. You see, that is the thing about the church, isn't it? That we, we never want to fall into this malaise of just doing things the way we've always done it just because we've always done it that way. We understand that we are in this dynamic relationship with God and that in that relationship we're continually growing, we're continually innovating, we're continually becoming more and more effective at making disciples of Jesus Christ. But coming out of a quarantine, we kind of wonder, well, what are we supposed to do? And if we're not careful, our natural tendency is to kind of shift our focus and just to look at our own self-interest. Because we see this world, it seems like it's spinning out of control and we want to make sure that we're safe, that we're protected, that everything's going to be okay for us, that things are set up well for us. And so when that tendency happens, we look at ourself rather than looking at others. You know, it doesn't just happen to us. It's happened for centuries. We're entering into a new series called A New Normal. It's a study through the book of Haggai. This prophet, he preached four sermons to the people of God, just calling them to this new normal to be something better after these people emerge, after years of quarantine, years of exile. To set the scene for you for this little small book, you need to understand that for centuries, prophets had warned God's people against their injustice and against their idolatry and prophets had warned them that hey if you do not repent and turn from your wicked ways well God is raising up the Babylonians and they're going to come in and they're going to destroy the temple and they're going to wipe out Jerusalem and they're going to carry off you the people into exile you need to wake up you need to return from your wicked ways while well, the people do not repent. The, these warnings of the prophets, they fall on deaf ears. And so the Babylonians do come, they do destroy the city and the people are led away into exile. But then after about 70 years of exile, a new Persian king, the first of the Persian kings take over. His name is King Cyrus. And he issues this royal edict allowing the Jewish people to return home. In fact, in the 1800s, this royal edict, which was written on a clay cylinder, was excavated. And you can even see, the, see that clay cylinder today if you were to visit this museum in England. But anyhow, the Jewish people were allowed to return home. And that's really where we pick up the story. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, the prophet writes, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. 
Is it a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on the ground that brings forth, on man and beast, on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. You understand it was a difficult time for Jerusalem. While the Jews were in Babylonian captivity, other prophets had come and they had told the Jews that God would rescue them and he would return them home to Jerusalem. And the good news had finally come that they could go home, that these captives could be set free. The exile, the quarantine was finally over. But Jerusalem wasn't like it was before. It it, it wasn't like that at all. The, The people returned to a new normal. You understand the city had been devastated. Nebuchadnezzar was very, very thorough in his destruction and devastation of the city. He had torn down all the walls. He ground the temple into dust. Anything that could burn was set ablaze. The city was desolate. It was full of wild animals. This was not the happy homecoming that the people of God had imagined, that they had dreamed of, that they had hoped for. The people, they didn't know quite what to do. They didn't know quite where to begin. Their city was reduced to rubble. That was until Nehemiah showed up. And Nehemiah came and he said, hey, we've got to rebuild the walls just to leave the city of God defenseless like this. Well, that is a reproach to God. We've got to get the walls up. And under Nehemiah's shrewd leadership, he said, okay, here's your plot of land and here's your plot of land and here's your plot of land. And you build a wall protecting your house and that area of land. And hey, if your wall is the weakest section, well, when the enemies of Jerusalem come to invade, they will march right through your living room. Well, that has a way of motivating people, you know? And so they build these big, strong walls. And what the people had struggled to do for a while, when Nehemiah showed up, the walls went up. And so as the walls goes up, then the homes are being built. And the homes are being in process of of rebuilding their homes to make sure their their walls, the city is now protected and now their, their homes are safe. And things are beginning to look and feel like a city again. Things are returning to some sense of normal. 
Except there's one thing still missing, the temple. Now they had started on the temple, they had laid a foundation for the temple, but nobody had ever gotten around to finishing it. Yeah, everybody knew that one day, one day we'll get to the temple, one day we'll finish it, but that day never seemed to come because there was always something else to do. There was always something else on the to-do list. We've got to do our homes, we've got to do the walls, we've got to do this, we've got to do, do that. We will get to the temple later. And it's hard, you know, to start from scratch, to completely rebuild. They had already accomplished so much. The walls were built. The city was protected. The homes were being built. There was some safety for the family. And yet, everybody knew that one day the temple would be rebuilt. But, you know, they didn't just have the energy to do it right then. They'll get to it one day. They're always fixing to get ready, but just never getting ready yet. But, you know, maybe something else was going on, too, in the hearts of the people of God. So you understand in the Old Testament times that the temple was the symbol of God's presence with his people. And so the temple was placed in the, in the center of Jerusalem, at the highest part of Jerusalem in the city. So whenever you look around, if you're in the city, you can always see the temple. You're continually reminded, constantly reminded that God is present and active within the lives of his people. It was this constant reminder. It reminded the people that, that their security did not come from who was their king or the size of their army, but their security came in the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. And so this is what they looked to. It, it, they understood that the presence of God, of the living God, what was, what was most important for the lives of their people. And so when the temple was destroyed, the people see this temple being destroyed and this destruction that's taking place as they're being led away into exile. And then there's this incredible crisis of the faith because you look around and you wonder, has God left them? Like, wh where is God now? If he's not in this place, if I don't have this architectural reminder of where God is, where, just where is he? And so when the people return they re rebuild the walls, they work on their homes, but the temple, well, they're just not so sure about that yet. See, they're, they're running out of resources, they're trying to be fiscally responsible. Well, I don't know if we have enough to devote to a big temple for God. And then they're also running out of faith, wondering, is, is God still present? Is he still active? They're just not so sure that he's still there working. And so Haggai, he, he speaks up and he tells these people who are low on resources and low on faith, and he says, you must rebuild the temple because you must understand it is the presence of the living God in your life that really makes the difference. It's the presence of the living God in your life that makes all the difference. So you've got to rebuild the temple. Now, the temple in the Old Testament, it was connected to the tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle, don't you? During the times of Moses, when Moses led the people out of captivity in Egypt. And wherever they set up camp for the night, the tabernacle was this tent, the tent of meeting, always put in the middle of the camp. So that everyone in the camp could look and be reminded, okay, God's presence is here. He is with his people. He is active with his people. And over, the, over this uh, tabernacle was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, always reminding the people that God's presence was hovering 
over this place. And so it reminded them that God traveled with his people. He moved with his people. He was active in the lives of his people. And so you always knew that wherever you went, God was with his people. And so to rebuild the temple, it was this architectural reminder that God is still with his people. He is still active and present in the lives of his people. So that everyone in the city could know and they could look and they could be reminded, yes, God is here. Yes, God is working. Yes, God is present. But you need to understand that God's presence was transformed in the New Testament by the person and the work and the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember when John introduces us to Jesus in John chapter 1? He calls him the word that became flesh. The word became flesh. Now the presence of God was not confined to a building. It was now in the presence of Jesus. The person of Jesus is where God's presence is now found. And so later when the enemies come to Jesus and and Jesus responds to them and says, Hey, if you tear down this temple, I'm just going to rebuild it in three days. And the enemies look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, you got to be nuts. We know that it took a whole generation to rebuild the temple. How, do you, how in the world do you think you're going to rebuild it in three days? The gospel writers tell us that the enemies of Jesus, they didn't understand. Jesus was talking about his body. That God's presence now was in the body of Jesus because Jesus was the God man. And so he was referring to his crucifixion and then his resurrection. And so through his resurrection and through Jesus, we understand Jesus is now this person that we encounter God, this place of meeting, the place where God is with his people. It is found, the presence of God is now found in the person of Jesus. And here's the thing, Jesus doesn't just keep the presence of God to himself. Do you see that by further reading in the New Testament? That Jesus then spreads out the presence of God to all of God's people. And so the church is his body. You understand, we are the temple of God. The church is the body of Christ. Stephen and Paul, they talk about this in the book of Acts. And they say that God does not dwell in a temple made by human hands. God does not dwell in a building. He dwells in you. He dwells in me. That we are now the embodiment. We embody the presence of God. So we take the presence of God to the people in our community. You are the temple of God. We are this living expression of the temple that once was. We are the the body of Christ. We are this living, breathing expression, reminder to the people of our day that yes, God is still present, that yes, God is still active, that God is still working. And this is what we express to a watching world, that God is this active God alive in the world today. Paul would explain this to the Corinthians by saying that, do you not understand that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the same spirit that dwells in Christ Jesus now dwells in you. And so be very careful then how you treat your body and what you do with your body. It matters because your body is the temple of God. Your body is the house of God. This is not the house of God. Your body is, you are the house of God. When we understand this, as Christians, the symbol that used to be in the center of Jerusalem so that when people saw it, they knew, oh yes, I see the temple. I am reminded that God is present and alive and active in the, in, in the world at that time. Well, now we are the living, breathing, walking, moving reminder to people in our day that God is active, that God is living, that God is working today. When people see you, they see the house of God.
And Paul, even when he described marriage, he said that marriage was not based on romantic love, that marriage is not based on meeting his needs or meeting her needs, but that the institution of marriage was designed to picture Christ and the church, the body uh, the body of Christ, this relationship between Christ and the church. So that every Christian marriage, every Christian home, it becomes a sanctuary for the neighborhood. So that when you invite people into your home, that people from the world, they come in and they see you and they see your marriage and they are reminded there's something different about these people. The presence of God is here. He is alive and active in the, in the lives of his people. And so the first sermon of Haggai here in Haggai chapter 1, it gets a little more personal doesn't it? You, you see how now in New Testament times what he's calling us to. You know, the prophet asked the question, how is it that you live in paneled houses while, while my house lies in ruin? Or to say it another way today, why is it that you were so excited to run it back into nice buildings and to restart and to rebuild old programs when the work of the Great Commission is going undone? You see, you must understand that the work of the Great Commission must be happening wherever you are in your neighborhood, wherever you're playing at the park, wherever you're studying, whatever school you're involved in, whatever workplace where you do your job. This is the call to all of us. This is the message of Haggai. Do you hear the words of the prophet? He says, you eat, but you're never full. You drink, but your thirst is never quenched. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You go out and you work so hard to earn something, but you're just putting it in bags with holes. Reminds you of the words of Jesus, doesn't it? When Jesus said, why do you worry about what you're going to eat? And why do you worry about what you're going to wear? And why, why do you worry about what you're going to drink? You know, it is the world that runs after all of that stuff. You see, unfortunately, so many churches spend so much time and energy focused on programs in the church building. And then they wonder because they look around and they see a community that's growing and a church that's shrinking. And you know what happens next, don't you? They begin to point the finger and complain and say, well, our culture is just going downhill. Things are just getting worse and worse and worse. When the real issue is we're in making our investments in bags with holes. We, we, we look, we put up a welcome banner, and we say, come here, come to the building. When we're called to be the sent ones, to bring the presence of the living God into wherever it is that we live, work, study, and play, so that we can be a reminder to the people of this world that, yes, God is still active, that, yes, God is still present, that God is still at work in his creation. But when we do that, when we neglect bringing the presence of God into the people of our community, the people that we interact with, well, did you catch the prophet's words? Haggai said that the heavens withheld the dew, so therefore the earth withheld its produce. You know, it's amazing. The, the people seemingly made no connection between their bleak agricultural state and the rule of God and the reign of God in this sphere of their daily life. It should have been obvious to them. I mean, they should have picked it up right away based on God's covenant with Israel. The blessings and the curses attached to the Mosaic law specifically mention drought and poor harvest as divine punishments for covenant disobedience. But they miss it. And yet, here we are, people working so hard with sometimes so little to show for it. And no, we're not under the Mosaic law anymore, but you know, the trap is just the same. We work so hard on all of our programs and all of this, and sometimes there can be so little to show for it 
because we focus our energy on the building when God says, no, 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 you are the temple of God. You are the house of God. You are the body. Make my presence known in the community. And then we wonder why. You know, Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. We talked about that the other week. He says, you need to go as you go, make disciples, not as you gather, as you go. I mean, Paul talked about it in Romans. He said, how can people believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how is anybody going to tell them unless they are sent? And then, he, and then he writes, oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's not, oh, how beautiful are the backsides of those who sit and listen. Okay, it's how beautiful are the feet who actually go into the community and let people know that the presence of God is still here. He's still living. He's still active. He's still involved. But we can miss it. And then this spiritual drought occurs because the church becomes unhealthy. We begin to complain. We begin to point fingers. We begin to shrink. We begin not to have the type of impact that we were made to have, that we were designed to have, because we don't live the mission that God has given us. You see, this first message of Haggai, as you start this new normal, Haggai is saying, don't focus on rebuilding programs. Don't simply focus on regathering at a building. Focus on displaying the presence of God amongst the people. Let the people know, let your community know, get out there wherever it is that you live, work, study, and play, that God is at work, that God is alive, that God is active, that God cares, that God loves. And how do we do that? Well, you're the temple of God. You just show up. You show up and you speak words of truth and you love and you live the Jesus life and you're intentional about it because this is what you're made to do. The warnings of the previous prophets, you remember, they, they went ignored. And so this judgment, this exile, it, it came. They had to experience, they had to endure all this. But thankfully, when Haggai spoke this sermon, when he preached this message, the people of God, they listened. They heard the voice of God from the prophet, and they feared God, and then they got to work. They joined in together, and they began to rebuild the temple to remind everyone in the city that God is there, that God is present, that God is active. So they came together, and they worked hard, and they let everybody know. That's my prayer for us is that we will hear the words of the prophet, that we will fear God and that we will go and we will be the temple of God sent to our community to let them know that yes, God is living, he is active, he is present. And we're to help with that, you know, sometimes we need a little accountability. Haggai was right there and Zerubbabel, he leads the charge and the, the temple was rebuilt. It, it was a great thing. But we need a little more accountability. We need somebody there sometimes just to cheer us along. And so what I'd like you to do right now is just to write down somewhere, just the first name of somebody who you say, you know what, I'm going to in intentionally invest time and energy and effort into this person in hopes that they would mature and they would become a mature follower of Jesus, a disciple maker themselves. I want to teach them everything that Jesus commanded so that they can live and look like Jesus. So write the name of that person down and, and then email us. Let us know. Just tell us the name of the person because we want to be praying for you and with you for this person that you're investing in. You know, you are the house of God. You bring the presence of God wherever you go. So display it fully. Do not hide your light under a bowl. We talk about it all the time. You gotta shine. Share Jesus. 
impact people, live life on full display this week for everyone to know God is present, he is living, he is active in, this, in our world today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are alive, that you are active, that you are intimately involved with your people, and that you are at work. And God, we thank you that you have called us to be your representatives, that we now get to go out into our culture and to to be that living representative of your presence so that when people see us, they will be reminded of the fact that you are alive, that you are at work. May we display your presence well this week, we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.